Hello everybody and welcome to the latest Mark Leverage podcast, this one being for August and September 2023. As always, I am delighted that you've chosen to spend the next 45 minutes in my company. And I'd like to start this podcast by talking a bit about the Magic Circle. That's the Magic Circle in London, of course. And the fact that in recent months there's been quite a bit of discussion within the club, and particularly within the committee, about changing the current degree system. Now, the degree system in the Magic Circle exists on several levels. You start off when you first apply becoming an apprentice. You then move on through an examination on to being a member of the Magic Circle. A further exam, if successful, takes you to associate of the Inner Magic Circle. And then if the president decides that you are worthy enough and have done enough for magic and are of a high enough standard, he might promote you to member of the Inner Magic Circle with either gold or silver star. Now, there has been a certain amount of uh, discontent among, particularly perhaps among those who are associate of the Inner Magic Circle level, because they've often felt that they come up against a bit of a brick wall. If the president doesn't know them or has, hasn't heard of what they have achieved in magic, then the chances of them becoming a member of the Inner Magic Circle are fairly remote. And this has led to quite a bit of frustration. And so the committee has decided to try and restructure the, the system so that to make it a little bit fairer, as they would see it. And they've put out for discussion a number of ideas. And their main recommendation is to do with the degree of associate of the inner magic circle. And instead of that, they, they're going to do away with it. And the proposal is that they will replace it with just member of the magic circle, either with a silver star or if uh, the person warrants it, member of the magic circle with gold star, which is a level above the silver star level. This uh, silver star version would just be done through examination, but the gold star level would actually be decided on by the committee. And then the president would still make the decision about promoting anybody who's at that stage onto the actual member of the inner magic circle level. So that's the proposal. And um, it's it sort of, I'm not sure whether it makes it any clearer, if, if I'm truly honest. And, and I do kind of wonder why the Magic Circle has a grading system of any sort in the first place. I mean, the, the reason that they give, and it's a perfectly legitimate reason, I guess, is that they, they want the degree system is supposed to allow members to feel a sense of achievement and progression. And, and it sort of sets up a benchmark between any member, between themselves and their peers in the club. So, oh, you're a member of the Magic Circle, but I'm an associate of the Inner Magic Circle, so I'm better than you. Is that desirable? I'm not altogether sure whether it is, is it? A bit of one-upmanship, I suppose. Most magicians have an ego of some sort or another. So maybe some people really enjoy the fact that they can say, well, of course, I am a level above you. Uh, but I'm not sure it's particularly healthy. Um, the other thing is that the when you think about what the being a member means. For instance, to lay people, lay people often don't understand the magic circle. They can't even sometimes remember what it's called, but for the many people do, and they will say, are you a member of the magic circle? 
They never say, are you an associate of the Inner Magic Circle or are you a member of the Inner Magic Circle? Because they are not aware of any hierarchical system in place in any case. So therefore, just to say that as a member of the Inner Magic Circle, if they say, are you a member of the Magic Circle? And you just go, yes, I am. Then as far as the lay person is concerned, then you've ticked the box. You must be good because you're a member of the Magic Circle. The fact that you might be a member of the inner magic circle is actually really basically irrelevant outside of the magic world. So it's almost like there's, there, are, there are two things going on here. There's the, the degree system which means something within magic and which might well be desirable for many magicians. But actually outside of the normal magic world, in the lay people world, it's, it's basically pretty much redundant and irrelevant. So all this agonising over it is perhaps, to a certain extent, certainly as far as lay people are concerned, a complete waste of time. As long as you're a member of the magic circle in one form or another, that's all they need to know. And that's all that you need to be able to tell them in order to, for them to decide whether they think you're a good magician or not. But anyway, it's interesting, isn't it? That, uh, we, that we choose to have the degree system in the first place and that it can cause this amount of discussion. When I was in my formative years as a young magician in the 60s and 70s, I used to buy most of my magic from Harry Stanley's Unique Magic Studio in London. And then shortly after that, I moved on to buying magic at Ken Brooks Magic Place, which for about a decade was the place to buy your magic. It was the cool place. It was where all the top magicians used to hang out and used to buy their magic. And I remember very distinctly that when Kembrook provided instructions for something that he sold, particularly it was a routine that he'd had some input in himself, the instructions that you got with it would, well, almost be like a small book. You would get multiple pages of tremendous amounts of detail, not only about how to perform the trick technically, in other words, what moves you need and, and so on, and the handling required, but more importantly, in many ways, how to put it across, how to actually present it as a performance piece. And as a young magician growing up, this was incredibly useful to me because I, I didn't really know how to present magic. I think as particularly as youngsters, as teenagers, you 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 kind of go through the motions of doing a trick but it's all very one-paced and it can at times be actually quite boring for people to watch even if you're technically quite skillful the bits that go round it the entertainment the the value for money you give at that side of it is often lacking and what ken brook did was he tried to help people to cross that barrier of mundane presentation and take it into something more entertaining something funnier something that people would actually want to watch and it seems to me that these days so many tricks are being sold no sooner has something been invented than it basically it seems to hit the marketplace but very rarely do you get that level of extra help now this is fine if you are an experienced magician and you have your own ways of doing things. You, you, you don't need to be told how to perhaps how to make a trick entertaining you. You've got your own parameters, your own ways of doing things, your own performing personality. And if you have, that's brilliant. 
And so when you take a trick or you buy a trick, you pretty much know how you're going to turn it into something that works for you, your personality and in your show. But for less experienced people, what they basically get is a short, often a short bit of video, which runs through the handling, shows you how the gimmick works and basically says, there you go, now go and do it. With hardly any offer of ideas or advice on presentation, patter or anything else. And so what's happening, I think, is that certainly for a lot of new magicians coming in, they're not perhaps spending as much time as they should, maybe, on learning how to put stuff across. They're just collecting more and more and more actual tricks. But how you perform those tricks and put them across, I think, sometimes bypasses them completely. The trouble is, I mean, I've as being coming from the generation that I've just explained that I that I am, I still believe that it's helpful to be able to give presentational hooks or some sort of a context for for any magic trick if at all possible. Uh, and I've written a number of ebooks in which concentrates not on the tricks at all at all, but on the how to do stuff, how to be a table magician, how to be a strolling magician, and so on, how to be a trade show magician. Not the tricks, just how to go about everything else that's involved. But unfortunately, for a lot of people, that's not what they're actually in it for. That's not what they're that interested in. They just want a new shiny trick that they can perhaps show their family and friends and maybe take down the, the magic club. And that's as far as it goes, which, it, which is fine. But what about those young people who do want to try and develop something? I think it's a shame that they don't have more input from the people selling the magic saying, look, here's a trick. This is what it does. This is brilliant, particularly if you present it like this. Or have you thought about turning it around and doing it like this? And I think that sort of stimulus would make the people who actually perform the magic that they're buying, it would make them much better magicians and would make the tricks themselves a lot more entertaining. One of my favourite things to do at a weekend is to, at some point, log on to Duncan Trillo's Magic Week website and catch up on all the latest magic news. In the same way that years ago, Abra magazine used to keep us all in contact with what's happening and who it's happening with and to, well, now, of course, Magic Week is the probably for UK magicians, certainly, it's the place to go. And a lot of the time, there are lots of announcements every week about endless numbers of live magic shows with descriptions of what's well, obviously of the details of the actual events, but descriptions of the acts and the performers who are going to be appearing. And I think it's amazing that there are so many of them. These are just the ones that are featured on Magic Week. I'm sure there are lots more as well. But it's brilliant that after several years of everything being shut right down because of uh, the pandemic. Now it's all come back strongly again, really. And you've got lots of live shows going on. But in order to get people to attend this, and because there are so many different offerings out there, <laughs> some of the organisers, I think, are going a bit nuts with the way that they're trying to overhype almost their particular event in an attempt to get people to come to theirs, perhaps as opposed to anybody else's. And if you if you start to look at, it, although it's not true of all of them, if you there are certain types of show, which it's almost laugh out loud funny 
it's not meant to be but it seems to because of the extreme language that's that's used again and again and again phrases such as blow your mind or mind-boggling illusions jaw-dropping stunts multi-award-winning magician so-and-so um mind-bending tricks it'll get you onto the edge of your seat and of course anybody who has even thought about going on britain's got talent or america's got talent likes to tell everybody that they have been so it's 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 a, a scramble it seems to see who can find them the most hyperbole to use in their promotion of the particular show and i do wonder whether you get to a point where that you just sort of run out of almost like superlatives to describe because so many have been used irrespective by the way whether the shows really are blowing people's minds or jaw dropping they are described as being such and so any layperson turning up seeing this type of publicity is going to have a bar set pretty high in terms of what they're expecting and i'm wondering how many of them are actually thinking well actually oh, my jaw didn't drop at any point during that show so is it i'm not suggesting that, that anybody should play it down but you do wonder sometimes whether all these extreme uh, words and combinations of praise for the the artists and all the rest of it really are having any effect anymore because everybody's doing it and it's it's similar i think with product reviews in magazines you know there's there's a, a certain uh, sort of system quite often in magazines sometimes with a scoring system sometimes not but i i often wonder whether if you have a scoring system like say magic scene does which is it has a, a review by the reviewer and then there is a score between naught and a hundred percent and if you get to a situation where every effect that's described gets a rating of let's say 80% which is excellent or above then you start to lose don't you a little bit of sen a sense of proportion about where this trick really lies because if if the if the starting point is 80% say unless something is absolutely dire which most things aren't most things are quite good then to start it at 80% and to give some things 100% leaves you kind of with nowhere to go so if something that a reviewer thinks is really great can it really ever be given a hundred percent because nothing is perfect or should it be the top perhaps a bit less than that because then if something absolutely outstanding comes along then then you then you've still got a bit of leeway to give it a score that reflects that i, I can see a situation where you're going to get because 100%, 95% has been used so often and it becomes run-of-the-mill almost, <laughs> you're going to have the situation where someone, someone, a reviewer is going to say, well, this is so good, I'm going to give it 105%, or I'm going to give it 199%, which of course is ridiculous. But you can see that in order to, to give it an extra boost, you almost need to do that because you've run out of leeway, you've run out of, of extra points if you like to award it so it's, it's quite funny really I, I mean i don't know what the answer is i think the te the text of reviews is more important than the, the score in any case 
uh, and that's what people should concentrate on. Make sure with a review you read what the reviewer says and not just necessarily look at the score. Now, I mentioned earlier in this podcast about the fact that in recent times, most of the ebooks that I've produced have been advice ones. They are not full of tricks. They're all the things around those tricks. And so I thought, well, actually, maybe it's time to produce a series of ebooks that do have some tricks in it and which major on tricks. And so I decided to create something called the Formidable Magic series. Now, before you accuse me of doing what I've just been talking about, giving it an exaggerated claim, but through a title, uh, let me just point out that Formidable is spelt F-O-U-R-Midable because each of the eBooks features four uh, effects, routines of a particular type. Now, I started the series earlier in the year by the release of Formidable Card Magic, in which I had, obviously, four card effects. And now I've just released the second of the series called Formidable Mental Mysteries. And this is, uh, I think, quite an interesting selection of four effects taken from the um, archives of eClub Pro, and which have not been actually published before, although they've been in video format, they've not been published before. And the effects are all very much spectator-centric in the sense that each the presentation of each is such that you you appear to be basically enabling a spectator to do random and amazing things rather than you doing stuff and you're saying aren't I clever it's more a question of them appearing to to do the, the stuff with your help the um, the four items there is one called psychic selection which is basically a parlor routine in which a spectator has a card in their mind and they they have a shuffled deck of cards and they basically cut to their card and then there are three for close-up one is called mental coins which is a routine it's a bit of a set piece routine this is not a table hopping or strolling effect it's something you need to work on a close-up mat it's absolutely ideal for a for a close-up show where you've got just a few people present maybe at home or something like that and basically you have four different coins hidden under a handkerchief and three times you at random secretly remove and put one of the coins into your pocket and each time a spectator manages to correctly divine which one you've taken out even though he has a completely free choice of any one of the four and there's also a rather nice surprise finish at the end too to sort of finish it all off then there's a packet trick called experiment which is a, a simple little prediction effect using ESP cards. The method is very, very clean. And I've had a number of different versions of this over the years, but I think this particular one is it's very bold in its method, but it's very straightforward to do. And, it, and it's incredibly convincing. A spectator literally can choose any of the five ESP cards and it will match your prediction without any sleight of hand or anything like that. And the final one is called Spectator Intuition. This one is another sort of set piece on a close-up mat type of uh, mental effect. You have six identical coins. You put a spectator, an, uh, an initial sticker uh, with a spectator's initials on it. It's placed onto the reverse of one of the coins. They're mixed up and a spectator eliminates coins genuinely without you forcing in any way or not controlling them in any way. And somehow they end up with the coin 
that has their their sign sticker on it. So those are the are the four routines. They're all very straightforward to do, and they so it means you don't have to worry about sleight of hand or difficult uh, processes and so on. And I, and they're all very varied too. So if you haven't had, taken a look at my formidable magic series, go and have a look at the card one and now this new mental mysteries one. Uh, the price of them is £12, or if you're a member of uh, eClub Pro, then it's just £6. That's the Formidable Magic series. Recently, I was watching a dem of a new effect called Leviosa by Julio Montoro and Xiao Miranda. And it's a, an astonishing haunted deck variation in which not only does... Uh, the deck cut itself when placed on the floor and to reveal a selected card but then the deck itself jumps from the floor up into the magician's hand with the magician already standing and the surprise of the deck jumping up into his hand is huge and I'm sure creates a fantastic impression and the method although I don't know exactly they give a certain amount of it of it away they show you the, the the gimmicking of the deck a little bit and it is amazing i take my hat off to the two guys who've come up with this because it really is amazingly astonishing the way they've managed to put this together to create this effect which is base not entirely self-working there is a little bit of slight that was required at one point but nevertheless it, it is basically self-contained within the deck and uh, and to be able to create a thread system that works in that way is amazing. But what it reminded me of is that because I was really impressed with this because I was appreciating it at a technical level, if you like, not so much the effect itself, because the Haunted Deck, well, the Haunted Deck is, is a, is a well-known trick, isn't it? It's one that's been around for a very long time. And of course, there have been endless numbers of different ways to achieve it. But what I admired about this was the, the technical aspect of it and, and the fact that it was self-contained and that there was pretty much no reset. Therefore, it seemed very commercial and it appealed to me on lots of levels. And then I suddenly thought to myself, I wonder whether for a lay person watching that, a lay person who's perhaps a bit sceptical, as you know, some of them are, aren't they? They don't accept things as they are. They always want to know how is it done. When that pack jumps up into their hand, I wonder if they just come up in their head with, well, that must be on some form of elastic. Now, that's not strictly true, but it's an explanation that might, just temporarily anyway, satisfy, oh, I know how that one's done. Yeah, you've got some sort of elastic and it shoots it up into his hand. So, in other words, what the layperson's done is they've taken a simplistic view because they don't know the technical aspects of it and kind of reduce the trick and re reduce its impact in their own head by suggesting in their own mind a simple way that it is done. It, it couldn't be done with elastic, but that, that never let that get in the way of them thinking that. And I can remember many years ago when David Copperfield did his show in London and my wife and I went and one of the highlights of that show for me was when he did towards the end of his act, he, he did flying. And I think flying 
is the most beautiful, choreographed, amazing piece of visual magic. And she said, wasn't impressed by it at all. She just said, well, he's just suspended by strings. And, and that was it. As far as she was concerned, that was it. He, yeah, was, I said, yes, but he, he's floating in and out of a box and he's, hoops are being passed over him and he's going up and he's down. He's got a spectator in his lap. No, it's, no, yeah, 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 whatever. But it's just strings. He's so far away you can't see anyway. So I thought, oh, wow. I'm appreciating this in a completely different way to the way she was just looking at it as, is it a fooling magic effect? And because she thought, well, it's just done with strings in some way, never mind the detail, it's just done with strings. Therefore, she wasn't that impressed by it, which, which blew my mind to a certain extent. So I do wonder sometimes whether we forget that when we see a trick demmed, and if there is a simple, very, very simple incorrect but nevertheless simple explanation for how something amazing is done whether actually for a lay person that's not such an impressive trick it's only that we appreciate how clever it is what a great version of of the particular trick it might be how the, the either the technique required in terms of sleight of hand or a gimmick that's supplied with the trick that's what grabs our attention and that's what makes us want to buy it not necessarily because we think it's going to fool lay people. Now, as you probably know, members of my online club, eClub Pro, have access to over a thousand pages of content, routines, advice, all sorts of different things. And one of the sections on the eClub Pro archives is called It Could Only Happen Live. And this is a, a selection of 93 short videos in which basically I'm sitting at my kitchen table with a cup of coffee and I talk to camera telling stories about various funny stroke awful things that have happened to me as a, as a full-time professional magician over the last 40 or so years. And anybody who works regularly for Lapi will know that if something can go wrong or go a bit pear-shaped anyway, it will do it at some point. And sometimes it makes for quite an amusing listen for people who weren't involved with it at the time. Now, I've um, some of these stories, all the stories are true. Uh, some of them are particularly pertinent and memorable to me personally. And so I thought it might be fun just to, for your entertainment, to put the soundtrack for one of those in now. This is all to do with bo bottles of soft drink. Listen on. In the mid-1980s, I released a new product called Visible Marked Coin Into Bottle. And uh, I'd always wanted to do a coin into bottle routine, but I didn't really like folding coins very much. I was worried about the bands breaking in performance. And I always thought to myself, how on earth do you get out of that when you have a bottle with shattered bits of coin inside it? And, uh, and it always put me off doing it, although I loved the idea of a coin into bottle. And I came up with this idea of using um, some bottles that at the time were very common, little tubby bottles that had a wide neck. Um, because the other thing I'd always worried about with um, coin to bottle was the fact that having made the coin penetrate into the bottle, you then had to apparently make it penetrate back out again. And I always felt it was slightly anticlimactic. I kind of wanted to unscrew a lid and then tip it out because once of it going in, I thought was enough. Anyway. These tubby bottles were absolutely perfect for what I wanted to do. And so um, I excitedly made up the gimmicks that were required and I launched the trick at a, an IBM convention. And um, it did really, really well. 
and it's I sold out almost immediately so I had to go back to uh, get some more bottles and when I went back I suddenly um, realized that I because well, initially I bought them just from ordinary shops just bought up some of the bottles threw away the contents and then used the bottles and I thought this trick is obviously going to be a big seller here it's going to be very popular I ought to really go and get more bottles wholesale it'd be much easier but when I went to the manufacturers they said oh no we're not making that type of bottle anymore what already you know sort of thing it often seems to be the way when you're a dealer you find a regular product which you then gimmick up to use in a trick and it often turns out that it stops the manufacturers of that item stop making it anyway so um, they said yeah I'm really sorry but we're not making that anymore but we do have some left in a warehouse so um, in Bristol so if you if you want I could find out how many there are so uh, I said well yes please so this guy rings up the warehouse and apparently there's about 600 bottles and he said um, if you're prepared to take the lot we'll give them to you for a really good price so I thought right okay so I go to the with my car I go over to the uh, to the depot and I buy 600 bottles the little toffee bottles of fizzy drink um, and uh, I have to tell you that on my on the way home it was so heavy uh, all this in my car on the way home I practically scraped the bottom of the car on the road all the way home because it was so, it was so heavy now with so many bottles in all these sort of blister packs um, I couldn't put them in the house so um, in those days we lived in a house where there was a garage it wasn't attached to the house it was down a little slip road you could see it from the house but the actual entrance was round a corner and um, so I put them all into the garage and then just tended to take one or two out or a few out at a time and then throw the contents away, dry the bottles out and then prepare them for the trick. Anyway, one day I go down to the garage, I open up the garage, I thought, there's something not quite right about the garage. I couldn't think what it was to start with. I thought, it doesn't, it doesn't seem the same as normal. Ah, where are all my bottles? Because the garage was completely empty. Where I'd had this great tower of fizzy drink bottles, there was now an empty space. And the garage had clearly been broken into and somebody had stolen about 600 bottles of fizzy drink. This was um, extremely bad news for me, as you can imagine. Um, I didn't know what to do. I contacted the police. When the police had finished laughing, wondering why on earth I had 600 bottles of fizzy drink in my garage, they said, well, you know, we'll keep an eye out, but chance of that turning up, not very good, really. Um, so then I decided to, uh, to just to see, because see, I didn't want the drink. I couldn't care less. In fact, I would encourage the, the thieves to drink the drink. I just want the bottles back in good condition. So um, I actually contacted the local newspaper and um, they did an article on me. Uh, and there was a picture of me looking sad and holding a magic wand or a top hat or something trite and cliched. Um, and it was um, all about, of course, the whole article was about how magicians' bottles disappear. Ooh, good line there. Anyway, on the back of that um, newspaper um, um, sort of um, article, I got a phone call from a local resident and said, I think I've found some of your bottles. They're in the hedge at the bottom of your road. And sure enough, when we went and looked down there, there were a load of these bottles were just lying empty, but they were lying in the hedge. So I got in contact with the police and um, the police came around and had a look and then they went and visited some local uh, well-known villains who lived fairly locally and in fact did discover 
that they had drawn up a transit van in the middle of the night, broken into the garage. Somebody had obviously seen them in there when I'd been taking, taking things in and out previously. And they'd stolen the whole lot and, and they had been attempting to drink them all. So uh, I did get back a few hundred. Um, some of them were damaged so I couldn't use them anymore. Uh, others were okay. Um, but the fact that, uh, that I got them back meant I could continue to sell the trick for a few years to come. But honestly, it could only happen live. I recently bought the reprints of the three Barry Richardson books, which I've never had and which I've always wanted to own. And I'm currently reading the first one, Theatre of the Mind. And in there, there's a very nice banknote routine in which you basically tear off a quarter of a banknote as security. And then something happens and you eventually match it up to prove it's the same banknote that you've been using. And I suddenly realised, ah, OK, can't actually do that with UK paper money anymore because it's, of course, not paper. Uh, because since 2016, we've had polymer notes and gradually they've introduced them on. Now the whole lot, all four or five notes that we have are all polymer and very, very difficult to tear. You can actually, you can actually cut them or tear them, but it's, it's very, very difficult. And it made me realise that this is how things move on, isn't it? that something like that where an everyday object that doesn't mean anything to anybody who's not a magician when it changes to a magician can be catastrophic there are all sorts of tricks that now are no longer possible or if they are possible they're not possible using the same method or being done in the, exactly the same way because of the nature and the material that the banknotes are made out of I mean, this polymer stuff, you can't even, you, you know, you can fold it, but it doesn't, it never lies flat, does it? It keeps pinging open. Uh, you can't, if you roll it and you let go, it instantly expands. It, you, you can't cut it or, or tear it at all. Uh, it, it really is not easy to do any magic with it at all. And so many effects which we, over the years, we've used banknotes for just no longer are possible. And then you think, well, actually, currency generally in the UK has been pretty rubbish for magic for quite some time. I mean, you think about our coinage. Years and years ago in the old days, and you had a, an English penny or a half crown, these were fantastic large visible coins which you could use. Now the biggest coin we have is a £2 coin, isn't it? And it's, it's a chunky sort of coin. It's not particularly attractive it's made of two different colored metals it, it, it's not very distinctive and that's the biggest one and then the only sil the silver coin that we have is a 50p with its ridiculous edges the only round one is a 10p which is really small it's about the size of a u.s quarter which is okay for certain tricks not too bad for that but for a lot of other tricks it's not so what do we do well i know what i do uh, for uh, LA people, I use half dollars because, or dollars, because they, that's the coin, not the note, because they are more visible. And, and I know sometimes people say, well, if you're an English magician, why would you use a half dollar or a dollar? I don't think it actually matters that much. You can say to lay people, oh, you know, have a look at that. It's an American half dollar. It's only a half a dollar because I'm saving up for a whole one and then I'm going on holiday, not going very far or very long, which you've got to start somewhere. You know, you can sort of make a joke out of it. 
and it's just a nice coin to do magic with. But our own coinage and our own banknotes are, are really are a bit of a disaster. And I think, wow, this is such a pity, isn't it? Uh, and I'm not quite sure with the banknotes in particular how we get around this. I mean, another thing that, for instance, the Americans are very lucky because, in some ways, because all their bills are all the same, basically the same size. Again, ours are all different sizes. And so all sorts of tricks that, that US magicians have come up with where they combine putting two banknotes together, we can't do because they're completely different sizes and very different colours. So again, it's no good. We can't do things like that. And there are lots and lots of great effects that you can do with American dollars that you can't do with English money. And another example is that the whereas the Americans still have a one dollar bill. So if you want to, you can actually do an, an effect where you destroy a banknote, literally genuinely destroy it as part of the trick. If it's only a dollar, you know, in the scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. But for us, the the the, uh, the lowest denomination banknote we have, of course, is a, a five pound note. Well, it's not a huge amount of money, and if you're getting a big fee for a show, you might want to destroy one. But it's it's not quite the same as a very cheap dollar. And if you need to 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 get lots of bills, so you, let's say you want to get a whole handful. Well, if you have a whole handful of one dollar bills to do a trick with, where you'll count the, the famous trick where you, you know, you keep trying to count eleven bills, and you, you find you've only got ten, so you add another one and you count them again. There's still only ten, and this sort of thing. Well, it's really expensive to do that with English money because if you want a big enough note, you have to use a twenty. Well, to use a dozen of those, some serious investments required here. So one thing and another. British magicians really are, have been, excuse the pun, shortchanged in, in the way that the uh, Bank of England has gone with its banknotes and its coins. Perhaps we're all going to have to move to America so that we can do our tricks with coins and banknotes again. How about that? Now, at this point, I'm going to do something that I've never, ever done on a podcast before, and that is have a little competition. This is a sort of reward for those of you who have soldiered through the previous 38 minutes of this podcast and are still with me. The idea of the competition is this. On my website, there is a, on the, in the shop, there's a selection of magic called eClub Pro Select. And at any one time, there are a finite number, the same number of tricks available. And the idea of eClub Pro Select is that these are only there for a limited time. And every two months, I take two of the items away and they're discontinued and I replace it with two more. So the idea of the competition is very simple. I'd like you to tell me by an email and the email address to send it to is magic at markleverage.co.uk. I'd like you to tell me what is the actual number of eClub Pro Select routines that are available at any one time. And as well as that number, I'd also like you to tell me the name of the current, from the current selection of the routine that you would like to receive. And if you get the number right, I will send you a link to download the selection that you have indicated that you would like. 
Yep, that's it. That's all there is to it. So I need to know the number and the name of the trick from the current selection that you would like to receive. Send it to magic at markleverage.co.uk and I'll send you the link so that you can download it for free. Now the competition is going to finish at midnight on Sunday the 6th of August. So I hope you're not listening to this uh, podcast after that date because if you are, I'm afraid you can't enter. But as long as you're doing it before that and you get your entry in before that uh, deadline, then you could have one of those absolutely for free. So go and take a look, but listen to the rest of the podcast first, eh? I have my Strolling Magic services listed on a number of different wedding websites. And one of them is called Hitched. And I get a number of inquiries from that. And obviously you're invited. Now, it doesn't cost anything for the basic listing. And basically you're able to put in quotes for weddings of all different types and sizes. And on the sh- on the page or the sheet where you online where you fill out the details of what you can offer when somebody makes an inquiry down in the bottom right hand corner it makes a comment about the average time that it's taken you to respond to inquiries in the past and I think mine was three hours and so many minutes so obviously it knows when the inquiry goes out it knows when you reply and it takes an average of how long it's taken you to reply. And then it says something like you need to reply, if at all possible, within 24 hours, because if you leave it much longer, people have often made up their minds. And I thought this is a very good piece of advice because show inquiries, especially when you do quite a lot of them, you sometimes you can get a bit a bit blasé with them. And you sort of think, oh, yeah, I'll I'll do that later. And then you wonder why when you don't do it until the following day, because various other life gets in the way, doesn't it? Let's face it. Uh, Then you don't do it till the next day, say. So it could be 24, even 36 hours, perhaps, since the inquiry was first lodged for you to get your, your details back. And of course, in the meantime, other magicians who have been submitting their quotes are way ahead of you, aren't they? And it could well be, of course, that the booker themselves has already made a decision before they even receive your details. So the importance of getting your quote, not only it being a good quote, of course, uh, and well done, but also getting it in in a timely fashion cannot be overemphasized, can it? You know, you could have the very best offering in the world at a great price, but if you're a little bit slow and others are getting in there ahead of you, I mean, it's not a race, is it? But and I think you do have a few hours. Nobody expects, I imagine that no booker expects to take the first quote that they receive as they're expecting several. They will give it a while, half a day, a day perhaps, while they're kind of collecting them together till they've got, let's say, about half a dozen, and then they'll probably make a decision. But if you're not within that time frame, you're not within that half a dozen um, people that they select, then obviously you're just simply not going to get the booking because the decision has already been made. So I thought it's very interesting that they put that on the book. I've never seen that on any other website where it actually has it tells you what your average is. And I was very interested to see what my average was because I would have said that that I actually answered quicker than that. 
but of course the figures might be slightly skewed because there may be occasions when for instance I'm away or I'm out all day and I can't get to it until the next day because it's it's too late for me to uh, to actually do it so there are and that would obviously skew the figures when you make an average but nevertheless I thought actually three hours and so many minutes isn't too bad I can certainly live with that uh, and certainly for me anyway that's something now that I'm very aware of and want to make sure that always as I get that quote in as quickly as possible if I'm really interested in doing the show. Well, there we are. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast. I hope you've enjoyed all the things I've talked about. Don't forget the competition. Ah, you'd almost forgotten about it already, hadn't you? Magic at marklevish.co.uk how many tricks are made available at any one time in eClub Pro Select. Give me that number in that email and also which of the current selection you would like and I will send it to you if you get the number correct.